0: Today, our guest is Juan Pablo Buritica, VP of Engineering at Splice, a fast-growing music creation platform. Good to have you here, Juan.
1: Thank you, Carolina. It's great to be here.
0: Please tell us a bit about yourself and what you do.
1: Sure. I live in New York. I was born in Colombia. and the last 10 years, I've been working for for tech companies of, of different industries, I've worked for a ride sharing app, I've worked for a comics app, for an advertising platform, and most recently for a music company.
0: Wow, it's quite an impressive resume there. Today, our topic is something that I think many of our colleagues in the tech industry may struggle with. It's growing an engineering team and fast and adapting to the company strategy. So let's dive in and... Talk about what challenges do software development teams face when they scale. Let's do it. (laughs) So what was your biggest challenge when scaling?
1: I'd say I had two huge challenges. The first one, of course, was finding people. And not just finding, but but hiring people. The market for engineers right now is very, very competitive. When you're a small company that is venture-backed, and can't compete at the same market rate at at many other companies, especially in New York, you have to get very creative as far as how you not only attract candidates, but but also retain them, ensure that what they're coming into is something that is worth it and rewarding work right now. Because right right now we, we are all sort of looking for better work opportunities that make our life better, that help us grow, where we can also have an impact. So being able to create that was the first really, really complex challenge. And then the second one, what happens when you grow too fast is that many of the things that used to work when you were small, no longer work. So your delivery processes, the way you do project management, the way you talk to each other, many of those structures and processes start breaking. So adapting and evolving those as you're growing fast, or as we were growing fast was, I'd say the second biggest problem we had to solve.
0: I'm seeing two things here. One of them is being in a market of a lot of software development opportunities for developers. And the other one is really creating a culture within your organization that can deliver continuously.
1: Yeah, I think you, you can say the culture is related to both, to hiring people, because you have to have at least a vision of the culture that you want to build, that you can sell for the people who want to join, who you're trying to convince to join. Like, hey, look, I want to build a team that looks like this and looks like that and can do this. Is that interesting? Do you want to join and help build it? That is the first part where the culture has an impact. Then the second when you are when you go from 5 to 60 in a very short amount of time relatively or you multiply the, the team size by 10 it is really important that the culture vision is strong so that your processes can scale so that you have maneuvering space to change and, and evolve the organization
0: what are some of the steps or stages that you have to acquaint yourself with when you're growing?
1: So the first portion is actually for hiring people, you should really pause and and design the the organization that you think you're going to need. It's going to be wrong. Whatever you think you (laughs) need, you're going to get it wrong. But it'll be a blueprint or a roadmap that you can try to follow along. You shouldn't just bring in people and see where they fall eventually because that could be harmful for folks who you're bringing in. If you're building a web application you know you were going to need engineers that have some sort of experience around web whether it's back end or front end Um, and it's going to be very different than if you're building a mobile application right Um, so having a blueprint of what your company needs are is important and then creating a very light interviewing process and recruiting process that helps you gauge whether the folks who you're trying to to bring in have the capabilities that you need. That isn't a burden of your process, has too many steps, it requires the candidates to do things that are not standard or that are now considered outdated, like whiteboarding. Then any friction you have in that process is going to prevent candidates to apply at scale, for example. And then you also want to be able to make decisions fairly quickly. You don't want the process to hang. Mm -hmm. So very, very early on a three-stage process with a light technical exercise where you can gauge the the knowledge and the the capabilities is is good enough. Be ready to to have offers fairly quickly. So work with your recruiting team or your HR team as you're scaling so that the entire process is fast Mm -hmm. and that you're making it better every time right if you're going to hire let's say 50 people in a year that is like four per month and you should be getting ready to not only interview well but also onboard at scale so getting the entire pipeline in helping anyone who comes in add so that the next person has a better experience you, mm-hmm. you set up like hey here's very light onboarding documentation there's 30, 60, and 90 day plans for everyone. Here's your onboarding buddy. So someone who is gonna help you understand and navigate the org and our tech stack, because there's many things that aren't documented yet. And as you find no information, add it to the document so that the next person that comes after you has a better experience. So that would be the first stage of scaling an organization, whether it's engineering or not, is designing the process by which you bring people in, you decide that they're the right people for the job and then you set them up for success. That's the first stage. The second stage is having a really good understanding or helping everyone who joins have a good understanding of what they're going to be supposed to be doing or figuring out what they're supposed to be doing, right? What are the goals that they came in to accomplish? What should they know about the industry? What should they know about the products that they're going to build? What should they know about the stack that's already built? And what are the shortcomings? What are its benefits? And perhaps help them really, really, really ramp up so they can start taking ownership of it. I think when we're talking about product engineering organizations, it is important that we recognize that folks will make better decisions if they really understand the business And if they have actual ownership over the problems they're trying to solve, if they have visibility into the levers that the business is trying to move, whether it's the cost of acquisition or the total amount of registered users, and can understand how the product may help move those numbers, Mm -hmm. we have really great solutions that come out that are elegant and are helpful and create a better experience for users. Um, So trying to create, trying to give them as much context as possible would be the the second stage. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the third stage is evolving the organization along with the people who have joined. If you have a five-person team, you don't have levels, you probably don't have a career paths or growth frameworks or performance review frameworks. And as you start growing, you have to start shaping these at the same time if you let too much time pass before you put any attention to this, then it's going to hurt. People are going to feel underappreciated, like they're not growing. They may be growing, but there's probably also not going to be anything for them to compare themselves with. Um, and they're not not going to feel supported. Exactly. So I'd say that specifically for engineering organizations, the processes and the tools by which you deliver software, need to grow with the team as well. They need to mature. This is the case at Splice. We used to have a one staging environment for everyone. When we were five, it really didn't matter. People could just use it at different times and and we could all test what we needed. Once you have 50, the competition for that space increases significantly. So we have to find a completely different solution and once you've depended so much in something like a staging environment and you've built all the data into it and you've built all the tests into it, moving away from it takes a lot of effort. So you should be ready for investing in your own tooling quite a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. So how would you differentiate um, or is there a specific difference growing from a small team of one or five people to 25 or 30 and then growing from that number to a hundred people, let's say.
1: You're effectively growing by orders of magnitude, right? And what is important is that the foundations and the, the structures by which you do your work are solid. There's a really good book called scale that talks about how organisms grow. Biological systems have already figured out how to grow by tens of orders of magnitude, by perhaps trial and error. But you can look at the patterns by which these grow, and then you see that the infrastructure and the communication channels have to scale and have to grow before anything else happens, right? You have to Mm -hmm. be able to carry nutrients or information and waste and things in and out. It's very, very similar in in organizations. Organizations, I I believe, are very close to, to organisms, and your systems have to scale. And by systems, I mean... The way you communicate or you transfer information have to be scalable. So if you're a five person team and you're used to brainstorming in a conference room, when you're 25, that doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So you either specialize and only five people who are now, let's say leaders or responsible for something are the ones who brainstorm. or you create a document where you can put your ideas and everyone can look at and brainstorm on paper or or on paper air quotes, right? On a collaborative document where everyone can comment. Yeah. And that way you're gathering input and you're collaborating. It isn't as real time as, as you perhaps were used to, but it scales and it works, right? The purpose of brainstorming is sharing ideas and sort of refining rough, wireframes that you may have to to get to better solutions. If you're 50 or 100, then you probably still only want 5 or 10 or 15 people who are going to be responsible for this or who may have had experience to be able to brainstorm. But the next 80 may still want some insight into into why this is happening or how you're approaching a problem. They very likely may not be responsible for whatever solution you're doing, but at some point they may have worked on something similar. It's it's highly likely that one of them has solved a similar problem or that they just wanna participate because we're a team. Sure. And so by having by having open processes in a space or in a team that is that operates with high trust, where you know that decisions are, are happening in an open space and people understand that their input may be ignored. And that's totally fine that there's someone else who is responsible for making the decision and for implementing this, then those work really well. And and that's just an example of one of the decision making processes that needs to scale, but every single way of how you do business needs to grow accordingly. The way you manage projects, you may be able to handle one project in a small task tracking piece of software. When you're 25, you need something a little bit more more robust. When you're 100, different teams may have to use different tools. So from one end, once you cross a threshold, what works for the individuals in the teams doing the work and what works for you as a leader who is responsible for the individuals who are doing the work is very different. At some point, you have to make decisions that serve the individuals that do the work. And at some points, you have to make decisions for yourself, for the person who is sort of in charge, let's say, or responsible for these things. Concrete example, and I'll continue with the uh, project management. When I joined, we moved from one company that offered this software to another one. I'm not gonna use this as a sponsorship opportunity, but we just used the different task tracking software. And we started splitting into different projects and it started working really well. But teams started using the same software differently. In some Mm -hmm. cases, they had different workflows. They started adapting it for their own process. And that was totally fine. At that time, they were also on different sprint schedules. So some of them had a week sprint that started on Wednesdays. Other had a two-week sprint that started on Mondays. And, And that worked well when it was two or three teams, small teams, like I could be asked about any of the work that was being done and I could I would know it off the back of my head, right? It came a point where that was too much context for me to keep. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't quickly say like, oh, I'll go piece of software and look at all the tickets that are in this state and I'll know everything that is complete because everyone had a different, had adapted the process the same way. So that started breaking down and it got to a point where we normalized something. So we all said, we're all going to start our sprints on Monday and we're going to be on the same schedule. Mm-hmm because we're now seven teams or eight teams. And that allows me to know the rhythm of the organization. Everyone is moving at the same time. We don't ship every two weeks. We ship continuously. We we do continuous integration and, and, and delivery. So that wouldn't really affect our deployments, but it helped me understand, organize the cadence or the tempo of the team. That was the first thing. And then, more recently we've started trying to be consistent on at least the states that some of the tasks are or the way that items are estimated so we can make the organization more observable so i can look from the outside and say okay we're planning well we're taking on too much work we're, we're not taking enough um, without doing a lot of Investigation and asking managers like, "Hey, how is your team doing?" And "Hey, tech lead, tell me how much that you planned that you finish what you said you were going to finish." Is there information missing? Do you need more anything? And at a hundred, the changes that we're doing now set us to be ready as as we are more because this is now a system that scales with the organization. So that's of another example. And then finally, because I've talked a lot. <laughs> um, Broadcasting information, so important communication about what has gone live or what is going to happen at the company in next two weeks. I am going to speak at a conference in Berlin and I may not be available, right? Important information that needs to be broadcasted. Those channels, you should try to set them as early as you can so you create a behavior and a culture of... Yeah, of understanding where important communication goes and how it's delivered. This because we're in an era that all companies have real-time chats. And these chats are being used more and more for work. And, And not just, I mean, to share work, but to actively do work on chat. And that requires presence, doing creative work or deep, creative work where you're either solving a problem or implementing a bug or you're chasing down whatever semicolon and having to keep a part of your brain focusing on the chat or whatever chatter is going on is not great. It reduces your focus, it distracts you and it doesn't enable you to do your best work. What we've done at Splice and even before Splice was at a company called Ride, we agreed on on a few communication guidelines or collaboration guidelines and, and, and procedures where chat is something that you can ignore for an entire week wow and you should not feel like you had to be there of course this is harder in practice to get everyone not to make decisions on the chat or at least make decisions on the chat but then find a way to communicate them broadly has been a little bit more challenging as we've grown but yeah these patterns are look you don't You don't need to be online all the time. Maybe I do because I'm the manager and I should at least observe what chatter is going on. But if there's something important, I'll send you an email. And my assumption is that you are eventually consistent on email. So in the next 24 hours, you would have read your email. And I know that my team, my entire organization will be in sync in 24 hours, tops.
0: So, um, I find a, a little difference here with the chat, even though it's instant messaging. You said somebody who is doing creative work is allowed to ignore it for a week if the need arises, but then with email, it's read it at least once in every 24 hours.
1: Yeah, you can start your day, read your email, you can end your day and read your email, and it is for code reviews so pull requests there's also an expectation engineers should one or twice a day support people and get help them get their code out help them get get feedback on the code that they've done because that is the work but being on a chat in the front end channel or in the back end channel and the back and forth isn't an expectation it of course helps right having collaborations but i have a saying that is work chat is for gifts and have fun, but it isn't important. It's not going to change your work. Uh, It's going to make it better, hopefully, a better experience, but it's not critical. It's not mission critical. Since most of the teams that I've led have been distributed, then that has worked really well. right? Uh, I do believe that most companies become distributed at some point right? you don't fit in the same room Mm -hmm. or the same floor or the same office if you're growing really fast. So if you rely on communication means that that scale better than talking in the corner on your way to the kitchen, then you're, you're a lot better suited to, to scaling. And yeah, that, that's, that's an example, how you treat your communication channels from the beginning and how you onboard people onto those channels and where to find information and yeah, how to make decisions at scale, for example, is super useful whether you're five or 25 or a hundred.
0: Mm-hmm. How did it work for you at Splice, for example, if there is someone listening to us about to scale or is expecting to, to grow their team to a hundred in the mm-hmm. next couple of years, would you think it work better for them to have all these different channels of communication thought out, for example, previous to actually scaling? Or would it suit a company better to have it grow organically with the teams and with the available tools and all that stuff?
1: I don't think you can plan it all ahead. My recommendation, if you're, if you're about to scale a company to 100, first, I would say don't, <laughs> but, but if you absolutely have to, you can't predict what's going to happen. You should have an idea about the types of information that people need in order to do their work. And you should have an idea about your preferred methods of sharing that information or making it available. I don't think that my approach works for everyone. It's worked well for me, but I've done it quite a couple of times. Where I've scaled teams quickly in a distributed manner so it comes naturally to me now. I also sometimes, folks follow me along from my past teams. So it's easy, since they already know how I work, it's easier they help me sort of organize and influence the organization in a certain way. So it's easier to bootstrap a culture. For anyone who is listening to us, who, who has the challenge of scaling their organization to 100 in the next couple of years, I'd say it is important to be deliberate in communication when you're scaling the reason why i prefer distributed teams is because it forces me to be deliberate with communication mm-hmm. and with information i have to think about how are people going to know the goals of the company mm-hmm. if we share them at our town hall every week and they and they missed it then i have a person who got sick perhaps who is now completely out of sync with the company. We may not know it, right? They may have gone sick, say, like, oh, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm not going to join the call or I'm not going to come to the... And then suddenly we start having different states and different understandings. So by embracing the fact that my team isn't subject to these serendipitous meetings or running into other people at the on their way to a meeting and talking about what happened in in another meeting, Mm -hmm. then I have to plan for all the information to be persistent Mm
0: -hmm. and to be
1: accessible and to be discoverable and for it to be broadcasted. I would start with that. If I was going to scale a team, then I would just try to understand what is important for anyone who joins this company to know to do their work. What do they need to know before they start or before I hire them? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What do they need to know when they start? And then what do they need to know to do their work and become autonomous and, and do great work without me being the single person that is carrying the message constantly? Right? how do we scale that culture and the way we work? If you think about the information that you need to disseminate before people join, why does a company exist? What is its purpose? Where are you trying to go? What aspirations do you have for the culture to become? What values do you currently embody and which ones you're working on? Is the company funded? Is it funded well? What is the business objective? What is the business model or the stage of the company? All those things are important for me to have clear. and even in a, in a very digestible manner. So I am being consistent with every single candidate that I am meeting. Um, I I like na- narrating a story. So I, I build a story for my pitch for any candidate. And then I once I learn it, I know I hit, Look, these are the businesses, this is how we started, here's how we've evolved, here's our next two years, here's the folks who, who, who you'd be working with, this is why you should join us. And that story hits all the major... Points and then questions usually fill the rest of the holes when people join they probably want to know who their teammates are who else is in the company who aren't their teammates especially if it's a small 50 100 company you can still get an idea of who's everywhere and what they do how their team works how the systems that they're working on work what they're going to be working on next or how they onboard how they learn how, how those things and then after you've onboarded six months later and you're really comfortable, then giving folks access to goal setting, for example, for the company. Look, every year we plan this way or every half, every six months, there's a strategy session and here's how you can get your ideas in or here's how you find out about what we've decided. Here's how you break down work. Here's where you come in. Here's your role and give them enough knowledge for them to become more autonomous to shape the process and the culture of the company. So it scales better.
0: So how do you change processes when it comes to scaling and growing? You, you have talked a lot about how you involve your people whenever and wherever possible in decision-making. And it seems like people have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the company, but how do you change the processes as the team grows?
1: That is a million dollar question. <laughs> um, like with with everything we've discussed, it's relative and contextual to the size of the company that you're in, or the size of the team that you're that you're responsible for. Because it's it's much less friction when you're five or ten, mm-hmm. than when you're fifty. When you're five or ten, you can talk to people directly every week, and it is easier for you as a leader to repeat yourself. It's like look we are not using staging anymore we're now using these deploy branches that this person created so starting next friday please everyone start using it if you have questions about how to use it let me know then maybe half of them will catch on to the new branches then the next week is like hey angelica and Freddie, you have not use the feature branches is there a problem is there something that i can oh no i forgot i'm sorry or i wasn't in the meeting cool how do you work and then in two to three weeks everyone has started using them gotten used to it uh, complained about using it or not (laughs) you've gotten all the hurdles out and then that's it the process changed and everyone is now on board when you're 50 you're not even the person who is talking to the folks who are responsible for that work. If you use the same example, yes, you can host a staff meeting where 50 people come. That's a very expensive meeting. You can do the math (laughs) at at, at a decent hourly rate. That's a really expensive meeting. And you're going to tell them you're going to do the same. You say, look, starting Monday, please everyone use the feature branches instead of staging. And you only get 50% if you're lucky. Because everyone was busy that week, everyone had to work, everyone was... If you're 50, you're, you have a lot of things going on now, and a lot of things to keep in, in mind. So the message of the feature branches occupied a much less important <laughs> space that week. So you're really lucky if you got 50% of people to adapt to it. And then convincing the rest 25 and dealing with the complaints, and like, oh, this is very difficult and it doesn't work in my machine or i really like the old method because you're always going to get this resistance everyone who joins startup says yeah i love change i love staying on my feet and then you introduce the first years like oh why is everything changing here it's always it's it, it is it's human nature right and it's yes. fine you, you like when you find your stride you don't want to change even if it's it's better you can probably do a training but it, it just takes a lot longer. And that's why your role as you scale the role of the leader is to become an expert in change management. So how you deploy a change, of that magnitude of a process that impacts all these people that it will eventually have an improvement, requires first, that you've built enough trust in the organization for them to follow along. It's like, hey, okay, The reason why we need to start using feature branches is because staging isn't working for most of you. You all feel the pain. Yes, I agree. Cool. There's a couple of solutions that we can approach. We can do this or we can do that. What do you think? Oh, I really like this one. I really like that one. Okay, I've decided that we're going to go with this one. And if it doesn't work out, this is the metric by which we're going to consider it doesn't work out, then we're going to try the other solution. Nothing is going to be ideal. Like 50, it's not going to work for everyone. Cool. The way we're going to deploy this is starting this Monday, 10 people are going to try it out. They're going to tell us how it worked. We're going to refine the process, and then we're going to deploy it for 20 more. How does that sound? Yeah, it's good. Oh, I want to be in the test. I'll be an early adopter of these. Oh, I'd never want to do it. OK, you'll be the last one. So, <laughs> this is some training material. Here's the process. We you deploy it with the first 10. You see if it's working or not. If it's not working, then you try the other solution or you try a different solution. And if it worked, then these 10 people will help advocate for the solution. Like, hey, this really worked. I really like. I really enjoyed this. Some people who are not early adopters, but a little bit later. Okay, let me try. I'm going to try it out. And eventually, with less effort, you have converted the entire organization to that. And that's a quick example. But that goes along with how you do code reviews. I think the key or what what we've been really successful at is is two things. One, piloting solutions for processes. Mm -hmm. So letting people try them out and and report back on how it went or it didn't. When pilots are successful, deploying them across the team is much easier. And second, giving a space for people to provide input on how the solution may or may not work and Mm -hmm. may affect them because it may seem faster to just get everyone in a meeting that is $5,000 however many dollars you want it to be and tell everyone starting now you're gonna do this and you may feel like you walked away you gave an order and everyone is gonna do it and then it's gonna take you two months to get everyone to actually do it or you can accept that it's going to take two months no matter what but you can be a lot more successful with that change if you do it in a step process um, because you're also building trust with folks you people know that they will they have a say on how they do their own work I and already
0: bought it I want to be in the
1: early adopter group <laughs> yeah. and that's why your job becomes being a politician right you just go along repeating oh the reason why we do this is this this is what you should know about our company. This is why cycle time or how long it takes us to take commit to production time is important and why we're watching it and why you should try to merge your pull requests in less than 36 hours because we want to observe what friction is there. So we're going to do it. It's going to be good. It's really great. We're going to get faster. We're going to get better. You're not going to have to work more. We're just going to become more efficient and you're not going to work weekends. You're not going to work late. We are just engineering ourselves. And that really helps.
0: That's amazing. Thank you. I, I really did buy it already. Um, <laughs> when I said, if you want to grow to 100, you said your first answer would be don't. What are some of your biggest takeaways from scaling too fast?
1: Before Splice, I was at, at a company called Ride. Or ride.com, it, it shut down. That was the first team I had to to scale really quickly and we went from 2 to 40 in a year and a half and I felt that was too fast and then I joined Splice and I remember the conversation was look we're not going to grow really fast we want to be sustainable fairly quickly and profitable and this and that and the engineering team will be at most 20 in 2 years I'm like great sign me up (laughs) because scaling An organization requires so much just work not work as in not something that has a lot of output but building a culture and building a process and building a philosophy and just requires a lot of attention a lot of moderation a lot of curation a lot of conversations with humans and humans can be exhausting there is insecurities there is All these things that we bring with ourselves because we're not machines as a leader responsible for an organization, a lot of that falls on you, right? And you may have done it twice already and I know if I have to do it again, I may have some shortcuts, but it's going to be completely different and it's going to be a lot of work as well. So the first takeaway I'd say is it's a lot of work. But there's, the, there's usually the sayings where like, if I knew that it was going to be so much work, then I wouldn't have done it. I don't think that's true. I think I would have still done it because it was exciting and it's and it's very rewarding. It is equally rewarding when you get it to work well on the other end. Like right now, I'm you have me in a podcast talking about this because I'm proud as heck of our team. But my first tip is be ready for a lot of work. A lot of repetition, a lot of communication, a lot of convincing, a lot of complaints, humans really like complaints. And it's it's the way that we sometimes express what is frustrating us when we really can't pinpoint what is actually frustrating. I have, there's a couple of folks who have followed me along for a few teams. And we have an agreement that when they complain, I'll ask, do you want me to solve this? Because if you <laughs> tell me, then I will. But then, you will have to go look for something else to complain. And that may be harder to solve. So we, we just laugh at that. But I, I, I am a person who likes complaints because it's feedback. Because mm-hmm. we're growing. I've seen other leaders who really can't deal with it. So it, it depends. Okay, let's say first takeaway, it's going to be a lot of work. Second, balancing between people who have already done some of it. Or have demonstrated, like in their careers, that they've already solved similar challenges, whether it's managing groups of people or building specific pieces of technology, is important to balance with people who have never done it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, entry level or early career, whether engineers or engineering managers, you don't want people who are too convinced that their way. Is the way that works all the time
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it's a new organization, and you have to shape that from the beginning. There are patterns we found, and they're now in management books like Camille's Manager's Path. Uh, I think Lara Hogan has another one that that, that there are some ma- patterns we've identified that are good, that are good frameworks. But just like in software, you can use React, you can use Ember, and you can use Vue, and you can get to the same outcome with a completely different path completely different skill set you can use ruby and rails and get to the same exact outcome so there's just patterns and you should strive to not creating a homogeneous culture but a place where there's a learning and there's questioning and there's just more a little bit more scientific approach to to how you build organizations of people it's also our responsibility to open up spaces for new people you can't just go after senior talent sure because senior talent is also not going to be as excited as dealing with this bug for the 50th time but it may be the first time a junior engineer gets to play with that and it may be very exciting uh, and it is probably the first time that a senior engineer will be able to teach how they've dealt with this bug for 50 times and why it works that way. So those are just opportunities that you want to capitalize on because it creates a more, a richer and more resilient team that will scale much better. And I'd say the last takeaway is have fun, uh, as you do, so That's and awesome. don't take yourself too seriously because getting to scale organizations is, is not an opportunity that everyone has. I don't think that after more than a few times you're going to want to do it again because it is, again, a lot of work. But yeah, enjoy yourself. That's what it's all about.
0: Thank you. It it sounds like it is really exciting and it's been a really exciting conversation. But I think our time is nearly up. So is there anything you would like to share that we haven't touched on?
1: I would say one well, for people who are in leadership positions responsible for scaling organizations and another one for people who are in organizations that are scaling. So individual contributors or other managers, perhaps. Well, I'll start with that one. So for ICs who join companies that are scaling really fast, be patient with the people who are trying to make this work, because sometimes we can use some of that empathy that many people sort of boast about and they're like, oh, my manager is not empathetic or my peers aren't empathetic. But I've seen a lot of sort of exasperation or frustration towards management as we're also figuring things out. So we're also human, (laughs) we're also in this together. If we could get some of that support, it makes our job a little bit easier. And it's also like, we're not always in a position where we can discuss the really complex challenges we're dealing with. Sometimes like the clown, we show up to our one-on-one with a smile painted on our face, but in the background we have like a nuclear disaster going on and we just have to put that face right yeah. um so that's something that we would like to encourage folks and then for leaders or people who are taking the, the the leadership path from technical careers we have to recognize that we're starting almost from scratch when we switch careers from building software to building organizations and we have to be as to devote as much time in learning about organizations and how they work and how they get better than we did when we had systems, right? When we would read about all these frameworks all the time and we would watch 10 talks on the same JavaScript function because it was great. We have to devote the same attention, the same interest to building organization and supporting systems of people because it is now our, our job and our responsibility and that's how we get much better at it
0: it sounds like the world is going to be a better place if they listen to this
1: thank you
0: thank you for this conversation i think for sure i have learned a lot and i hope our listeners will also learn a lot if they would like to find you online or follow you what would be the best place to start
1: my twitter is full of bad tweets but they're welcome to <laughs> to follow <laughs> nice. along. My last name is uh, B-U-R-I-T as in Tom, I-C as in cat, A. So Buritica or Buritica for those who, who speak Spanish. Uh, you pronounced it amazingly at the beginning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but they, they, they can find me on Twitter. And then I haven't written in a while. I have to get back on it. <laughs> but yeah, my buriti.ca is, is my is my website. It redirects right now to my medium where you can find a couple of things that I've written. But Follow me on Twitter is probably the best, the best and worst experience that you can get.
0: Awesome, sounds great. To our listeners, be sure to follow Juan Pablo if you'd like to see more of his work. And I thank you for this insightful conversation. Um, thank you
1: for your time. And thank you for the for the wonderful questions that helped me <laughs> have those answers.
0: Thank you. And um, thanks for tuning into this episode of Level Up Engineering. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Juan Pablo Buritica, VP of Engineering from SPLICE. And I am Carolina Tot and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.